Allen said they had a show for us today. I agree. Thank you all so much. Our gospel lesson this morning, we're reading in Mark this year, comes from the first chapter of the gospel of Mark, uh, beginning with the fourth, fourth verse and reading through the 11th. I invite us to listen now for God's word. <clears throat> John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie the thongs of his sandals. I've baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And then the portion of the passage that I'm going to be preaching on this morning. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, the beloved, with you I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. <clears throat> this is going to be a little bit shorter sermon this morning because of uh, the fact that we have uh, the CE moment and we also have the Lord's Supper. I know that you hate to hear that it's going to be a shorter sermon, but if you will, just bear with it this morning. Today, if you've noticed the bulletin, is the baptism of the Lord's Sunday, same Sunday every year. Each year on this Sunday, we hear one of the gospel accounts of Jesus' baptism. But if we're willing, if we're willing to reflect, we can always use this to reflect some on the meaning of our baptism too. A college professor was asking her students in a religion class in what ways they considered themselves to be religious. In other words, how did they characterize their religion at that point in their life? How did they express their religion? <clears throat> One of the students said that he didn't really consider himself to be very religious anymore. And the professor pushed him on that. That's, as, as you college students know, that's the nature of classes. Um, he, she, and, and she said, okay, what do you mean not religious anymore? What do you mean by that? And the young man answered, well, I went to church when I was a kid, like everyone did, but I guess I grew out of it. I grew out of religion. So the professor pushed him some more and said, okay, how do you mean that you grew out of it? And the student answered her, well, the way I see it, religion is sort of like training wheels on a bicycle. When you're a kid, you have those training wheels on your bike before you completely learn to ride the bike. Well, he said, I think religion is sort of like that. I think religion is sort of like training wheels. You need it when you're young, when you're, and that's before you're out on your own, before you know what you're doing. I find that really interesting, that interesting assumption that after you become an adult, you somehow know all about what you're doing. But then he went on to say, but then when you get more confidence, you're able to take the training wheels off and you can ride alone. 
He said, that's the way I see religion. I think that young man <clears throat> very well expresses what many of us in the church think, what many Christian folk, many of us church members think, what we understand about our baptism, and if the church has confirmation class, also how we understand our confirmation class. Sort of, the, you know, baptism and confirmation were okay. They were, they were good back then, but now I've moved on. A lot of times we don't say that explicitly, but I think we say it implicitly by the priorities in our lives and by how long we continue to be active in church. The baptism of Jesus was obviously once for all. It was unique. It was only Jesus' baptism. But what I want to suggest to us for a few minutes this morning is that Jesus' baptism and what he did after his baptism is also a model for us and for our baptism. For us as followers of Jesus, his baptism and what he did after his baptism tells us what we're called to do, tells us what we're supposed to be and do after our baptism. Jesus comes up out of the waters of baptism, and from that moment on, he serves God. He serves God in his unique ministry, obviously, as the Son of God. But for the rest of his life, he serves God. His very life becomes a ministry in the name of God and following God's will. And what I would suggest to us is that as followers of Jesus... His life, as I've said, is our model. As, as, as Mark does, he's, as he always does, Mark writes about the baptism here in a very few, very uh, direct and very unembellished words. Matthew, Luke, and John have a lot more words in the story of the baptism, but not Mark. He's just always right to the point. Listen to some of his words again. Now, remember that Mark is writing to the early church. He's writing to churches that were, pro that were in some kind of crisis. They were probably under some kind of strong persecution. And he's trying to write to them words that will give them a sense of the power of Jesus that has been given to them through the Spirit. Something that will give them courage, that will give them hope to go on. Briefly, he has three messages. First of all, in verse 10, Mark writes, and just as he was coming up out of the water, Jesus saw the heavens torn open and the Spirit of God descending on him like a dove. Mark is drawing there on several passages from the prophets Isaiah and Ezekiel, and he uses virtually the same words that they did. When Isaiah and Ezekiel wrote those words, they were declaring that God was about to bring a new age into being. One age was ending, and God's new age was about to begin, and it was coming in great power. <clears throat> so Mark is saying, first of all, that in Jesus, that new age, in his baptism, that new age is beginning. It's coming into being then and there. In Mark's words, the heavens are torn apart, and the Spirit descends on him like a dove. We know those words those very famous words of Paul in 2 Corinthians 5, anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old life has passed, and behold, a new life has begun. The second message 
in this passage that Mark gives us is that the baptism, in, in his baptism, Jesus comes to us in great power. He comes to his followers in great power. In the words of verse 11, we hear, And a voice came from heaven, that is God's voice, saying, You are my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Mark's quoting the Old Testament again there. First of all, he's quoting uh, Psalm 2-7. Uh, the words in Psalm 2-7 were part of the liturgy, part of the service for the coronation of the kings of, uh, of Israel. Um, at those coronation services, the king was always declared to be a son of God. But Mark is also drawing here on Psalm 42-1. And Psalm 42.1 is one of those many, many descriptions we have in the Old Testament, especially in Isaiah, of the servant of God. So all of that comes to focus here in Jesus' baptism. God's voice comes from heaven and says that Jesus is both now the perfect king, the perfect ruler, and the perfect servant. The power in Jesus Christ it, that is proclaimed at his baptism by God is God's own power. In Jesus is the power of God himself because Jesus himself is the son of God. You are my beloved, with you I am well pleased. But now the third message, and this is the one that I want to focus on particularly this morning. Uh, Mark is talking here to the church. Mark is talking to the followers of Christ that come after those disciples and after Jesus' own baptism. Mark is talking to us. He's telling us what Jesus' baptism means for us. He's telling us what our baptism into the Christian life calls us to do. There's something in Mark's account here. It's subtle, but there's something in, the, in Mark's account of Jesus' baptism that isn't in any of the other three Gospels. In Mark's account, only Jesus hears the voice and sees the Spirit. The crowd doesn't, the disciples don't, but only Jesus does. And then Mark's readers do. And then every one of us who will read about Jesus' baptism from then on get to hear God's voice and see his Spirit. The disciples don't see it, the crowds don't see it, not even John the Baptist sees it and hears it. As one person writes, that day as John did another one of his baptismal services in the muddy waters of the Jordan, a young Galilean came sputtering up out of the water. Mark says he saw the heavens torn apart and the spirit descending. He says no one else saw it, but Jesus saw it. And then he says that baptismal day was the inauguration day of Jesus' ministry. Well, as I said, Mark lets us in on that. Mark shares that with us as the readers. Other than Jesus, we're the only ones who get to see it and hear it. And that means that the inauguration day of Jesus' ministry is also the inauguration day of our ministry. Our baptism begins with Jesus' baptism. And when we are baptized, infant or adult, every one of us is, is inaugurated as a follower of Jesus 
into our own individual, unique ministry to follow Jesus from our baptism on. We do it in different ways. We have different gifts. But we're each inaugurated into ministry after our baptism. After our baptism, after our confirmation, it doesn't just wind down there. It doesn't just sort of fade away from there. It doesn't possibly end somewhere down the road from there. Mark is saying this remarkable, powerful, strange, and wondrous thing to us about our baptism. The power of God that is in Jesus Christ is also given to us. The power of God that is in Jesus Christ is also given to us. Jesus gives us the power of God through the Holy Spirit so that we can serve him from then on. Here's how one person talks about what baptism means to us. He says, in our baptism, God meets us and embraces us and commissions us, commissions us to be about God's work. All of our baptisms get their meaning, he says, from Jesus' baptism. And then he says, now what? He says, I'll tell you what. Now is the time when we have our lives rearranged, when we discover to our surprise and delight that our God didn't wait for us to come to him. Our God came to us. Jesus meets us exactly where we are. He comes not to be served, but to serve, and he invites us to walk that same way with him. I'll end with this short story. In a, in a church Bible study group, <clears throat> there was a deep theological discussion going on, like we'll have at 4 o'clock this afternoon. Uh, in the middle of that discussion, uh, one of the women said, well, most of this is beyond my understanding. And she said, I'm a rather simple disciple. I don't know a lot of theology. I don't even understand a lot of the Bible. So I just try to be as faithful a follower of Jesus as I can and where I am in my own little way. And she said, and from what I can tell, that seems to be enough for Jesus. I'd say that she gets baptism about right. Amen. <laughs>